0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the
1: Energy Connection Podcast, brought to you by My MyBFF Social. This podcast is dedicated to providing thought leadership regarding topics across the energy industry. The views and opinions expressed by the host belong solely to themselves and are not a representation of any other groups or individuals. If you love to dive deep into the world of energy, listen in here. Good day, everyone. This is Phil Oren, World Connect Energy Services, bringing you another energy podcast i have with me today andy if andy could uh, jump in
0: hey phil how are you today
1: ah not so bad we finally uh have our first day of what spring is supposed to look like 75 but in the last hour the skies have darkened and we're expecting rain till sunday and here we are on Friday afternoon.
0: Yeah, we've alternated between rainy days and uh, unseasonably cold temperatures here in Louisville. But um, spring's coming eventually, I think. Yeah. Today, today, today's encouraging. Right into summer. Yep. And,
1: and yeah, that, that's a great segue to the energy because, you know, summer, the hot days, the lazy hot days of summer uh, increase a lot of usage in, in coolant and in cooling and uh allows us to uh help our customers that way but i was hoping we could catch back up on the COVID 19 and some of the dynamics that it's changing the markets Uh, if you if you have a few moments i'd love to hear your thoughts on maybe the power market or the gas market to start with whatever you feel is the the right one and we can build off of that
0: yeah so you know, just we we talked about this on the very first episode, and this was right as you know, every all the states were going on lockdown and people were complying with stay at home orders and now, orders. And now here we are on uh, May fifteenth, we're recording this, and it seems like you know we're swinging back in the other direction. You're starting to see uh, businesses open back up. You're seeing manufacturing processes come back online. So it it does seem like we've seen kind of at least for now, hopefully, the the worst um, pass as far as the shutdown. And we, we've got a lot of data that we didn't have a couple of months ago as far as what we've seen happen to the energy markets and I'll focus on on natural gas when I talk about the, the market fundamentals because that that does drive a lot of the electricity prices that you see across the country uh, especially where a lot of our customers are in that that PJm or MISA territory those are, are very very highly correlated markets but we we did see as expected we saw industrial demand come down which makes perfect sense there's, there's almost no way that it wouldn't have. Um, by my count, uh, when you adjust for weather, industrial demand dropped by about 10 percent. And that's that's overall consumption of natural gas from industrial facilities. So that could be anything from uh, process load while you're rolling aluminum, um, natural gas that gets used at an automa- automotive manufacturing process. So really runs a gamut across the board. Anything industrial is going to fall under that. Uh, It also includes the gas that's used to heat those facilities as well. So that's why you do have to adjust it for weather a little bit. But yeah, that was off about 10%, uh, which isn't insignificant. But when you talk about the types of declines that you saw in, say, gasoline demand or jet fuel demand, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, Globally, I've seen estimates that we lost 25 to 30% of crude oil demand. So, the impact on the gas market has been a lot more muted than what we've seen in crude oil fundamentals. and I think that that's going to be important when we kind of transition to the next part of the discussion, which is, you know, what's what's the longer term look like? But one one more point on that, that that 10 percent of industrial demand that we've lost, that accounts to around two to two and a half billion cubic feet per day of, of gas consumption that we would have had that we didn't have over the past, say, month and a half to two months. Over that same period, and this gets back to the weather discussion at the beginning, most parts of the U.S. were significantly cooler than normal. So when you look at overall consumption of natural gas, that that hit that we took in industrial so far was actually canceled out by an increase in space heating load just because the, the temperatures were cooler. You got everybody at home running their heaters uh, during a time of year where they might not usually be running heaters as much. And uh, everything ended up being kind of a wash. Uh, and again, that's so far. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in the summer. We've, we've got some thoughts there as well. But, uh, but so far, interestingly, we have not seen a big hit to natural gas consumption because of the coronavirus shutdown.
1: It's pretty interesting when we look at uh, the news every night and how many people are, you know, 30 million people unemployed uh and things like that 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 the usage is only down such a small percentage but it's also gained on the residential heat load
0: yeah and and when you look at the electricity consumption patterns those are a little bit harder to come by just because of the way that our grid is segmented but i've seen estimates that overall power consumption is down uh six to eight percent across the country and and that's Hit harder in places like New York, obviously, and, and bigger cities. But when you average out across the whole country, six to eight percent drop in power load. Again, not insignificant by any stretch, but not as much as you might otherwise think if you don't follow this stuff.
1: Yeah, the um, the the demand curves haven't really been uh, uh, too dangerous to be part of this explosion with the the virus.
0: That's for sure. Sure. So I guess the next question is, you know, what's happened with prices and over the stretch, prices have stayed low. Um, Consumption has been flat to to a little bit down and we've seen nearby. And when I say nearby, I mean, deliveries tomorrow through the end of the summer, basically have been lower um, to more or less unchanged. The further you get out into the summer, we have not seen a further collapse in gas or power prices um, and, and a, a big reason for that. And we, we have seen, I guess, locally, some of the power markets have, have seen more weakness than others. But prices were already dramatically low coming out of the winter. We, we had one of the more mild seasons that we've seen in the past 50 years. So the market was already kind of down near uh, what, what looks like a fundamental floor with with natural gas at about a buck sixty uh, if you look at, at PJM Power and MISO Power, we've seen some day-ahead prints, um, you know, for on-peak delivery between 16 and $18. That's become more prevalent probably since the, the coronavirus shutdowns, the, those types of power prices. But they weren't unheard of before all of this. And, and that's just because we were already in, a, in an extremely historically low energy price environment before all of this hit. There just wasn't much further for things to fall.
1: Yeah, looking back at some of the curves, you know, July 2019, we thought that was rock bottom. And then we come to uh, March 2020, and we've seen some some very low dips for a longer time than just a couple days.
0: Sure. Sure, yeah. I mean, the, the lows are the lows until they're not anymore, right? I mean, that, that's kind of how markets work.
1: Yeah. Um, have you seen any changes with the LNG?
0: Uh, that's that's a good question. We're starting to. Uh, so I think the last time we talked about this um, on that podcast a couple of months ago, I mentioned that the LNG export piece would be a lot slower to move than industrial demand. Um, and, and that's just because of the nature of how these cargos are delivered. It's not uh, as simple as an industrial facility telling everybody to stay home and turning off their, their gas spigot. Um, this is a matter of, long-term 20-year contracts with shippers and marketers that have to move giant specialized cargo ships around the globe. So it doesn't typically turn off overnight. And that that is what we've observed. Um, We're seeing a lot of news um, about... Cargos that are being canceled in June and July is where it seems right now that the bulk of those are. And we're starting to see some modest declines in the amount of natural gas that's flowing into these these LNG export facilities. Uh, To put it into a little bit of perspective, the highest we've ever seen of exports. And and we we measure this kind of a, a weird way just because the actual export data is delayed by a couple of months. So a good proxy for that is we we look at the gas that's flowing on pipelines to those facilities specifically. So we we there are firms that monitor that stuff. So we do have a good idea of how much gas is flowing into the liquefaction terminal in order to be exported. And the highest we've ever seen on those readings is about nine and a half billion cubic feet per day. Now, the past two weeks, we've seen that between seven and a half and eight. So we're off. Pretty significantly from the highs, but not not that far off of the average levels, which have been around eight to eight and a half BCF per day. We do expect in June and July to see that take a further hit. What does that hit look like? We won't know until we get there, but our, our forecast to connect, we're assuming that overall – Average LNG exports for the whole summer for the seven month period between April and October, the hit is going to be around one and a half to two and a half billion cubic feet per day. And that means in June and July, we might see three to four BCF a day come offline. And, and the reason is just because prices are so low around the globe, so low in Europe and Asia, which is the main are the main markets that we're shipping to. That it's not economical to export right now. You're going to take a loss uh, when you take all those all those costs into account. So that that's uh, we're starting to see that occur, and that will probably help keep a lid on gas prices and subsequently power prices as we move into the peak of summer. Usually, seasonality dictates we rally from the spring into the summer as consumption goes up. And um, the, the fact that LNG exports might not be what they otherwise would have been in a different market that could help uh, keep a lid and keep the market from uh, really getting off of the ground as we get into those peak summer months.
1: And, and unlike uh, power, we're able to keep keep it in storage. And uh, so are you looking at a price coming down in the fall because we'll have all this extra uh, gas storage?
0: Maybe. Uh, So typically that that seasonality uh, that that we talk about, you see if you start in the first quarter, you're you're high with prices because you're in the middle of the winter. Then you collapse down into a low uh, late in the first quarter, usually in March, early April, Um, rally up to a high. We call it the second quarter high, but it's not always in the calendar second quarter, but it's a high around the peak of summer. Uh, just as the market anticipates that power generation consumption coming online. And then you fall down. Uh, You see a a low in the fall. It's consistent with the shoulder seasons where demand is at the lowest. I guess the question for this fall is going to be, what is demand growth looking like at that point? Are we seeing industrial demand all the way recovered? Is it close to where it was? And is LNG export demand looking like it's gonna stay offline for for a long period of time? Assuming that the answer to both of those questions is no, which is is the, I guess, let me rewind that. Assuming that industrial demand is coming back at that point and assuming that LNG export demand is not going to stay low forever. And we're, we're seeing that recover as well. We have some major concerns going into the fall and winter. And the reason is because production of natural gas, which has risen pretty consistently uh, for the past decade plus, 2016 is the big exception. And that's because like now prices got so low that there was no incentive to grow, no incentive to continue to drill new wells and ramp up output from these these private companies. Um, we're, We're seeing evidence already that production volumes are falling. We anticipate those drops to continue between now and at least the end of this year, potentially into 2021. Uh, With crude oil, yeah, it's not negative anymore. That was a a one day anomaly, but it's still, even with a a rally today, I'm looking at WTI West Texas Intermediate Crude uh, at about 28 bucks a barrel. Uh, 29 now, which is great, but producers in the U.S. need 50 to 60 to just break even in these in these shale formations where most of our production growth is coming from. And right now, if you look at the forward curve, you don't get 50 bucks until I'm scrolling, scrolling. Uh, December of 2027 is the first month it's printing $50. So we've seen a massive shift in the rig count, which is the measure of how many, Rigs are out in the field exploring for new wells. That's down by almost 60%. And I haven't seen today's number yet, 60% since mid-March. That's a leading indicator. So that means six to eight months from now, those are wells that would have otherwise been coming online. Now they're not. Shale, both for gas and crude oil, has a big decline rate, meaning when you drill a new well, it's very prolific for the first year or so. And then that production starts to fall off a lot more quickly than traditional wells. So we expect as this year goes on for crude oil production to continue to come down and for that to drag gas production down with it, because so much of our new gas supply is sourced from crude oil wells, specifically in the Permian Basin in West Texas, which is taking a major, major hit right now. So to kind of bring that all together, we get into the fall, we're looking toward the winter. We've got demand on the recovery. We've got supply continuing to slide. Even though we expect to have a great volume of gas and storage, to get back to your question, we expect it to be around 4 to 4.1 trillion cubic feet, which is the, the most we've ever had. That's might not be enough to make it through a winter in which supply is falling and demand is growing especially if weather doesn't cooperate which we never know that that's the biggest wild card in this whole thing to where we might draw inventories down very very low uh which historically means the prices go up um so while we see reduced risk here in the near term uh, as we work our way into summer we see enhanced risk kind of counterintuitively when we get into that late third, early fourth quarter, potentially going out into next year as well.
1: So if you were uh, buying, now's the time to buy long-term.
0: I would say so, yes. Uh, and we're advising our clients to do so. We've already seen, say, natural gas for next winter rally. Uh, it's already off of the lows, but it's down this week. And it's it looks like a good buying opportunity down here below $2.80 for winter. Uh, next summer, even uh, right now, printing at about looking at NYMEX, about 255. These are historically still good prices, even though we're so far, pretty far removed from the lows uh, that traded back in early March in a vacuum. This is still a good price for gas for the next calendar year. Um, But where we really see value is beyond that. I mean, if you look at 2022 and all the way through the middle of the decade, uh, if you've got, you know, most, a lot of people aren't, aren't, certain right now you know if you look out the landscape of of the business um landscape of many businesses is uncertain but if you do have some modicum of certainty if you're a university if you're a a well-established manufacturer and you can afford to take a little bit of a risk by locking in extremely low gas prices uh and power prices for that matter in a lot of areas we do recommend exploring some options to start taking advantage of that long-term forward curve
1: do you uh do you buy into the the idea that we should be uh, taking some of this gas and building more gas-fired turbines uh, to take off some of the edges uh, when demand comes up? Yeah, those those um, gas turbines they're they can be up pretty quick.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we we've seen that over the past decade plus, we've seen it just a massive shift in the generation mix where. We've gone from crude oil, or sorry, coal, um, shifting gears. We've gone from coal reliably every year, accounting for about 50% of all the power generated in the U.S. Um, That was reality last decade, or two decades ago now. Um, Now coal is fighting to keep a quarter of the generation mix, and we've seen a big increase in renewables. Uh, Wind and solar have gone from almost nothing to around 10 to 12% of the mix nationwide. It's a lot higher if you go to California or other parts of the the country, but natural gas has been the biggest grower. Uh, We've seen gas grow from about 20% to about 30 to 35% of this generation mix overtaking coal as the primary fuel of generation in the U S that's a trend that's going to continue. You can see, what's planned out there. You can, it's a lot of it's public uh, as far as what's under construction, what's slated for the next several years and natural gas continues to be the generation fuel of choice. So we need to grow production to keep up with that increasing generation demand. And that's, that's what the big concern is right now. If production stops growing, even if it's just for a year, we can find ourselves in a situation that we haven't been in much in the past decade where demand growth is faster than production growth. And that uh, could put an end to this very low energy price environment. When I say energy, I mean gas and electricity uh, that we've gotten so used to and benefited so much from over the, the past decade or so. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting over the next few years as everybody's trying to make their, uh, their Fortune 100 companies greener to see how that really changes the landscape of uh, the gas and uh, the power grids as more and more people are looking to do green energy, you know.
0: Sure. Uh, Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of unknowns with that. But I will say that there's still you still have about 40 to 45 percent of the stack nationwide is nuclear and coal. And we're not building any new coal units right now we're not building any new nuclear units. And both of those are are baseload fuels. And natural gas, the right kind of generation facility, can be used as a baseload fuel. And that means it's on most of the time. And it it takes care of the the power generation needs that are around the clock. Um, Renewables are are great for when they're they're on. Uh, And I'm, I'm a proponent of renewable energy as well. But they're not always reliable. If you look at Texas is a perfect example. The the days when it gets really hot and the wind isn't blowing, that's when you're seeing the price spikes. And until we find a, a reliable way to store the wind power or the solar power, which isn't unrealistic, there's very very intelligent people working on that. Um, you're going to need some sort of a backup fuel. You're going to need a base load. And right now, natural gas looks like it's going to be that base load. And there's still further for both for gas as well as renewables to grow as long as nuclear and coal still have a piece of that mix.
1: Yeah. And from things that I've read, the gas is a, the new gas plants are very, very clean. So that, that's yeah. a, that's a win-win for everybody.
0: Clean and efficient. I mean, we're, we're talking about less gas to generate more power and that technology, there's no reason it, it can't, continue to improve. I'm by no means an electrical engineer or any type of an engineer. <laughs> so I, I can't tell you how they're going to improve, but, I, you know, I have faith in, in ingenuity, um, capitalism. And I think that it'll, will continue to see, um, see the, those improvements and those strides strides, I should say.
1: Well, hopefully it won't be long that we'll be lighting up the ballparks. I know that you're a baseball fan and Alan, who's producing us is a, a sports junkie himself and um, I thought uh we would take a look at some of the ballparks at some point and maybe uh see who's more efficient. We could do a little uh round robin of uh talking <laughs> energy and uh maybe do a playoff you know as, as we work through picking stadiums for their
0: efficiencies that would be that would be very interesting yeah i'm hoping I'm hoping we light them up too this week um I've been following it kind of closely the the owners Um, have come up with a plan to start the season in early July. And right now they're going back and forth with the players, figuring out the money side of it. So hopefully they can come to an agreement, figure out how to start it up safely. And I don't think there's any scenario where we've got fans, unfortunately, in the stadium, but something's better than nothing. And I think that that would be a nice, I guess, sign to the American public that things are getting back closer to normal. Um, I'm hopeful for it, but yeah, we will see. Well,
1: I'm, I'm same here, here in Pittsburgh, you know, they're talking about doing these, uh, doing the games. And it was a lot better than having them do all the games in Arizona or Northern Florida, mm-hmm. you know, even though you can't go to the game at this point. But uh, as a season ticket holder, I was able to uh, move some tickets around and get some seats behind home plate. So I'm looking forward to uh, hearing play ball in the, Popcorn and peanuts.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll have to – when the when the Reds are up in Pittsburgh at some point when we're allowed to go to games again, uh, you'll regret telling me that you've got seats behind home plate because I'm going to come up there as much as I can.
1: Yeah, it, it's the ones that you're on TV the whole time, so we'll have to go to a couple day games.
0: Perfect. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would not be an issue. Um, you know, being the season was shortened instead of getting – a. a a refund. We were able just to upgrade uh, a couple of the games. You know, hopefully the Yankees will be uh, one that I can uh, abscond from for myself or for one of my associates like yourself.
0: Would love it. But yeah, is, uh, in closing, anything? Uh, no, I, I don't. I mean, as unpredictable as this is, we we've seen things play out. About as expected with regards to energy. And sure enough, we'll see a wild card at some point. Maybe it's LNG exports falling off more than we think or not falling off as much. But when we look at all the the market fundamentals, I think that they've behaved about as expected so far. And we're still early on in this thing. So it will be interesting as hopefully the economy starts to recover and people start moving around a lot more. What happens with all these pricing structures and our our, our outlook, again, is still neutral, maybe a little bit bearish for the next few months, but then uh, increasingly bullish, I would say, as we get deeper into this year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to understand why demand has only dipped that small amount. It really is when we're talking about so many things not being available.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, folks are still still want to be comfortable, so you're still seeing that the heating load, um, still seeing power generation. To your point before, more of that is on on the base load. So even if we take off eight percent of power, that's not going to get into that base load demand that we have. So that's gas that's going to be consumed around the clock, and then exports haven't stopped yet. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Um, you assume energy uses come down to nothing, but I guess the world keeps turning in some regards.
1: <laughs> yeah. Stop the world. I want to get off. I've had enough, right? <laughs> Sounds like absolutely. You probably don't remember that Andy. Uh, well, thanks for another, um, entertaining afternoon of, uh, energy looking to, uh, update the COVID-19, see where we land. I understand that In western Pennsylvania, where I live, is the last uh, red county. We should be going to yellow end of next week. And uh, I understand we might be back in the office somewhere around June 8th.
0: Yeah, that's about, that's actually what I've heard too. And that happens to be the due date of our baby uh, that's on the way. So, yeah, I won't be in the office for a while. I'll, I'll probably take a couple weeks after that and then continue to work from home to help out. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, my, my over under for being back in the office, for moving my stuff back in there, I'm, I'm calling it July 1st.
1: Yeah. That's sooner than I would expect. I thought you'd take uh, the, as long as you can to become the new dad, that you will be a
0: great one at. Thanks Phil. I appreciate it. Everybody tells me that I'll, I'll say I'm going to take all this time off, but then at some point I'll be like, I need to get to the office. I got to get out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, just uh I'll keep sending flowers to your wife and make you make you go crazy. All
0: right, perfect. I hope
1: everybody enjoyed the podcast for the day. We'll be back next week.